Welcome to a new episode of the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey. You may have noticed that many people are choosing to work longer, sometimes for financial reasons, but often for the non-financial benefits that work provides. And it's not really a recent phenomenon. Over the past 20 years, the share of Americans working in their 70s has risen, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. And it's expected to continue, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. The share of younger workers in the workforce is expected to decline, except for one age group. Workers 75 and older are expected to grow from 8.9% in 2020 to 11.7% of the workforce in 2030. So what's the deal with working longer when you have other choices available to you? Today we'll be talking to one who's making that choice, Scott McKillop. He's 72. He's the CEO of First Ascent Asset Management. His company was acquired last year, and many people use that as a catalyst to head off into their next phase. But he's chosen to continue to work, and he'll talk with us about why. He's a veteran of over 40 years in the financial services industry. He's served as a member of the board of directors of three financial services firms and served on the advisory board of two other financial services companies. He's a graduate of Stanford University where he earned his BA and he earned a JD from the George Washington University. Scott was born in California and grew up in Silicon Valley before it was called Silicon Valley. He's lived on the East Coast and the South, but he's landed in Denver and has stayed there since 1997. And he's involved in some interesting outside activities, plays lead guitar. He also has done a lot of mountain climbing, including summiting 30 14ers, which are mountains with elevation 14,000 feet or more. He's also written extensively with over 100 published articles and papers. And he's a sought-after speaker with over 100 industry conference speaking engagements. So listen to what he has to say about his decision. You might say to yourself, well, I'm not a CEO. If I was a CEO, I'd stay around too. But I think he highlights some key questions to consider that might be useful for you in thinking about whether to retire or perhaps to work longer. Scott, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Joe. Looking forward to the conversation. So retirement isn't for everyone. And when there's a sale of a company, it's often a catalyst to retire or semi-retire. Tell us why you've made the decision to keep working. Yeah, well, our company was acquired earlier this year, and I gave very little thought to retirement, actually. I, I get quite a bit of satisfaction from my job. I love working with the people that I work with. I love the mission that we have as a company. I get a, a great sense of purpose from what I do. I feel like we're serving the financial advisor community in important ways. And it also is a great outlet for me. I consider myself something of a creative person and just trying to solve all the puzzles and, and figure out how to move forward and build a great company is very satisfying for me. And that's something I see in people that do want to continue working, that sense of mission and purpose you mentioned. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I think it's very important. So the way I see our business, maybe other people see it differently, is we provide portfolio management services, asset management services to financial advisors. We provide technology and back office services to help them do work for the work that they do for their clients. So we're sort of standing behind the financial advisors. They're on the front lines working with clients and trying to help them 
provide for their financial security going forward. And I think that a lot of people in this country have not really saved enough or they haven't really thought enough about how they're going to prepare themselves for retirement. So I think what the financial advisor community is doing is extremely important work. And so for me, I feel like I'm participating in that, solving that, I'll call it a societal problem, really, just people not being quite ready or educated about how to get themselves ready for retirement. And so I feel like we're part of the solution there. So it makes makes me feel good about what we do every day. As you might expect, I spend a lot of time talking to people who are retired or close to retiring. And when I ask retirees what they miss about work, some people say, I really miss the people I used to work with. And then they pause and usually quickly fall by, well, most of them anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. And then the second thing that comes up is, I miss the challenge that work provided. And so how is challenge, that sense of challenge factored into your decision to keep working? Yeah, that's a huge part of it, really. We started our company eight years ago, and we started with nothing. We had no clients. We had no assets under management. And so we, we were climbing a pretty steep hill to get where we eventually got. And the challenge was part of the allure for me was just to see if we could do it. And this is, I think this is true in some of my outside activities as well as my work activities. I just like to try to do things that are difficult. You know, not everybody thinks that way. I think the French playwright Moliere said, the greater the obstacle, the greater the glory when you overcome it. I don't necessarily think of it in terms of glory, but but I think of it in terms of satisfaction. You know, it's like, it feels good to climb a big mountain or take a problem that's really difficult and find a way through it. And it's particularly rewarding to do that with a team. So that's, I think, part of it as well. The the group that that I'm a part of has been together. Many of us have been together since the very beginning. Now, obviously, the firm's grown a little bit over the years and we've got some newer people. But really, it's I can look around at this group of people that I've been with now for eight years and and we did this together. You know, it's a bond. It's like going to war together and you've got this bond that there's really no substitute for that. So you mentioned outside interest and all work and no play can indeed make Jack a dull boy. But you have some really interesting outside interests that you're passionate about. What's life outside of work for you? Yeah, well, there's there's obviously the friends and family part. You know, I have a great family and lots of good supportive friends, but I have some pretty strong interests as well. I I live here in Colorado and I love to hike and climb mountains. And so I, I do that a lot during the this time of year, especially in the summertime and and going into the fall, we'll be climbing some more 14ers and just seeing how far we can go and how high we can get. That's part of it for me. I also play guitar. I play in a band. I started, you know, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area back in the in the 60s. And so there were a lot of pretty cool musical influences back then. And I actually ended up taking guitar lessons from Jerry Garcia before he became Jerry Garcia. So I've been playing for a long time and still love to play with the band. Almost everybody in the band is you know, half my age, but, <laughs> but it's something I still love to do. So I do that. And then I, I write a lot. So I, I think I've written, I don't know, 170 articles and papers, mostly industry related. But I love to write, and I, I look back at my high school English teachers and give them credit for that. They, they really were great motivators in that area. But that's a lot of stuff right there to try to fit into 
to what's already a pretty busy schedule. So that's something interesting to slip into the conversation. Guitar lessons with Jerry Garcia. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about what that was like. I know it was before he was, no, it was Jerry Garcia, but, but I'm curious what that experience was like. Yeah. So that what happened there was actually a guitar teacher named Troy Wiedenheimer, who nobody has ever heard of now. But all of my friends, well, all of my friends who had taken from him said, he's the best guitar player. You've got to go take from him. So I went down to this local guitar store where I, where I live and tried to get lessons from Troy Wiedenheimer. And they said, nope, there's no way you can do it. And I said, I'll come anytime, weekends, like, you know, late. I said, nope, sorry, he's totally booked up. But we've got this other guy. And they pointed to him. He was sitting, I still remember, he was in a metal folding chair. He had a Guild 12-string guitar. And he had this wild, black, wiry hair and probably about five days growth. And, he, and back in those days, you know, for whatever I was, 13 or 14 years old, he was kind of scary looking, but I listened to him play and it was unbelievable. So, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll sign up and we'll uh, take some lessons from him. So that's how it all happened. Yeah. Never dismiss the other guy. Yeah, no, exactly. And then at some point, not long, I mean, I didn't take from it for that long, but it was for some time period. And then it wasn't long after I'd quit taking from him that there was a free concert in Palo Alto where I was living at the time. And there was the Grateful Dead up on stage. And I said, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> he was my guitar teacher. Anyway, and the rest is history, as they said. And not to go down too much of a rabbit hole, but in addition to your first guitar teacher, any other guitarists that really have influenced you that you really enjoy listening to? Yeah, so I love Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits. He's a guitar player that I... I really emulate some in my playing. And, and then there's just, I'm kind of stuck back in the 60s and 70s a little bit, you know, in terms of my guitar heroes. So, so Jimi Hendrix was one who I just thought was fantastic. And Jimmy Page as well from Led Zeppelin. So those are just a few of the people I really look up to. And it was, it was mainly uh, just the fact that when I saw them, what they were doing was just different than anybody else. Had done. And that was the thing I liked about Jerry Garcia's playing too, was there's, I mean, to this day, there's really nobody that quite plays like that. And it's a beautiful thing to see somebody take an instrument that everybody's had for hundreds of years and, and come up with their own style and, and kind of set a little place for themselves apart in history. So, so with your mountain climbing, I'm sure you've got some interesting stories there. Could you share just one of your most challenging climbs and maybe one of the stories behind that? Yeah, sure. There was one that that really stands out. This was early in my mountain climbing. I actually was living in Atlanta at this time, but I came out to Colorado and I decided to climb what we call a 14er here. That's a, a mountain that's over 14,000 feet. And so I, I made my plans to go. I had no idea what I was doing, really. I was very ill-prepared, both equipment-wise, food, water. I didn't have enough of anything. I got up on top of the mountain, I actually uh, tied in with a couple of guys along the way and went up the mountain with these two other guys. And they were camped right at the base of the mountain. I still had uh, quite a ways to go once we got down off the mountain. But we got up there. It was too late in the day by the time we reached the top. A thunderstorm came in. It just started pouring rain. And when I went to go back down the mountain, it was starting to get dark. And there had been a a couple of avalanches that had wiped out part of the trail. And during the day on my way up, I could see where the trail picked up again. And so I just 
continued across this kind of blank space. But when I came back down at night, I couldn't see where the trail was. So I ended up wandering up and down the side of this mountain until about three in the morning when I finally found my car down at the trailhead. I literally almost bumped into my car because I couldn't see it. And it was pouring rain the whole time. And I was thinking about all the signs I'd seen on the way up the mountain warning about bears and so forth. And I thought, this is going to be the easiest meal these bears ever had. I'm just going to walk right into their den. But yeah, that was, I learned a lot about preparation in that experience and a lot about what not to do. But, you know, it's just one of those things where you, I tried to crawl into a log in the, about probably 11 o'clock at night to wait until it got uh, light the next day. But I, I started shivering and I realized I wasn't going to make it through the night if I didn't get myself out of there. So just continued on. And uh, about 15 feet outside of that, that log was where the trail was. I picked it up again and finally could find my way out. So it was a bit very scary. It was a, one of the only times in my life where I really was worried that I might not make it down the, the hill and get out again. But And you're still going back, still going back. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love it now. Now I'm much yes. better prepared. People ask me why I have so much stuff in my pack a lot of times. I'll have multiple headlamps and so forth. And it's not all for me. It's usually, you know, some of it's for other people who may not have remembered things. But I always have enough food and I always have enough water and maybe a little overprepared. But I think just my experience tells me that you better be ready because the hike you think you're going to take is not always the hike you end up taking. It's funny. A lot of people think of retirement as the end, but it's really a new beginning. If you'd like to be more intentional about your new beginning, consider joining us in my next Design Your New Life in Retirement program. It's a group coaching program limited to 10 people. We start on September 21st, and it runs through November 16th. Every other week, we get together on Zoom. And at the beginning, before we start, and at the end, after we conclude, there are one-on-one coaching sessions. It's limited to 10 participants, and there's an early discount, very early discount available until August 15th. You'll find a link in the show notes that'll give you all the information you need and to register soon. I hope you'll join us to bring some design thinking to your next phase. So with all these activities and your business, what have you learned about how to balance work and life? Because that's so important if people who want to continue to work, got to get that right. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the first thing I learned is there's really no way to perfectly balance work and life. It's an aspirational goal, but you have to accept the fact that there's only 24 hours in a day. And if you're like me, there's way too many things that you'd like to do. And so you're never going to be able to fit it all in. So you have to try to screen out as many things as possible to really just focus on your priorities and not let uh, yourself get distracted. But then really just stay focused, be okay, embrace the fact that you're not going to get everything right. You're going to, there are going to be days when you go, oh, I, I spent too much time doing work and not enough time doing things with my family. And there'll be other times when you see it the other way. So just don't stress about that. Do your best to stay focused. And you have to think about it because it's not going to happen by itself, right? There's nobody, there's no little fairy that's going to tell you when it's time to go do your fun things and stop working. So you have to be very intentional about it. But I think part of the key is just recognizing that it's 
it's hard to get that exactly right. But I have found, interestingly, that that time seems a little bit expandable to me. So if I have relatively few things to do, I'm going to fill up the day. If I have more things to do, somehow or another, I can still get those in. And it's almost as though the, the day expands a little bit to accommodate those things. So I usually err on the side of trying to do more things just because I find that if I, if I do and I'm efficient about that and I'm conscious about what I'm doing, I can usually get a lot of things done. So it sounds like there's that combination of intentionality and flexibility, being really balanced those two, two things together. Yeah. And being okay with not getting it right. That, I mean, I think this is really important because this is an area where you can really stress a lot. And when the, the cards are stacked against you, as I think they are, on this particular topic, finding the perfect balance is kind of an elusive goal. And you mentioned how you're thinking about time, how it can be expandable. How do you think about time at this stage of your life and career? And how is it different than perhaps if we took you back to another earlier stage? Yeah, well, I'm much more aware of the finite nature of the time that I have. There's no question about it. I feel I'm 72 now. But both my parents died in their mid-60s. And so I feel like I've got this gift of these extra years. I don't know how many more of them I'm going to have. I just look at each one of them as a blessing and recognize I could live, I guess I could live another 30 years, but I could also have a much shorter time period. So, so there's that sort of mysterious quality to time where you don't really know how much of it you have. You can't really plan on the, a specific amount of time. But I am at the point now where it's not some theoretical, you know, the end of my life is not some theoretical thing. I know, I, I feel that the presence of my finite nature, and I know that I will someday not be here. And so I, I just think it, it makes everything seem sweeter and more, more important. Everything that you, every hour you have is, is a gift. And so you try to do the best you can with it and, and make a difference. I mean, I think it's important. I don't think everybody looks at the world this way, but I have been motivated a lot by trying to just make the world a better place in some little way. You know, that might be just a smile to somebody in the family, or it might be something bigger that you try to do. But I think it it makes it makes me very conscious of how I spend my time. When you think about people you've known over the years and seen in business and just in your personal life, what mistakes have you seen people make over the years in planning for retirement that people should have on their radar of things to avoid. Yeah, I think the obvious, so I'm in the financial services world. So there's my brain gravitates in that direction. So not saving enough, not providing, not starting to save early enough, not really being educated about how to get yourself into a place. And that, that sometimes means working with a financial advisor. Sometimes that just means being smart about how you do things yourself. But, you know, sort of putting that aside, there's the obvious, the practical part of it. The I think the thing that I've seen is people not really thinking that much about what it's going to be like and how they're going to spend their time and how they're going to feel about things. So my recommendation is to think about the things that bring you joy in your life and be very intentional about that and, and try to identify what those things are and say, well, if I, if I quit work, will I lose some of those things or will I get more of what I like? when I quit and, and go do other things. But I think it's just really important to have in mind what are the things that bring you joy in life and, and try to 
gravitate in those directions. I mean, I think it's the reason why I'm still working at this point is just I love what I do. I get a lot out of it. And and there's there would be no real substitute for it at this point in my life anyway. So I continue to do that along with the other things that bring me joy as well. I think that's great advice because it's really important to know what it is that we do enjoy, what does bring us joy, and to really position ourselves for that. I had the opportunity to interview two people over the last couple of years who've written books on fun, which was a curious topic. It's like, well, it's something we all we all want more of. And one of the things I learned from both them is that uh, Catherine Price and Mike Rucker was that you have to really do some planning about fun. We, we associate with spontaneity, and that's good, and it's great when it happens. But you have to really be in, make sure you're positioning yourself for fun and joy and knowing what it is that really gives you joy is the first step. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially if you're, once you leave the work world, you realize how much of your life was, your life structure was built around work. And when that structure isn't there anymore, again, there, there's no little fairy who's going to show up and say, now it's time to go do this, or you need to plan to do that. There's a lot of, I'll call it work. I'm not sure that it really feels like work, but there's work to do to make sure you think about what you're going to do. And the world can take you away. There are a lot of people who who will push you one way or the other. This is true about the decision to retire in the first place or decisions about what you do afterwards. I think it was E. Cummings said, the, the hardest thing is to be yourself in a world where everybody's trying to get you to be somebody else. And, and so you have to really just kind of sh- shut out outside influences for a little while and think about what you truly want to be and and what you truly want to do and how how you derive your sense of joy or or satisfaction in life and then go back talk to other people about what they think i think it's important to say well the people that are close to you what do you think would bring me joy and, and listen to those uh have those conversations but really at some point it's it's in what's in your heart is going to drive the decision, I think. And, and in order to know what's in your heart, you have to stop and think about it, stop and listen to it. And that's sometimes challenging these days when everything's everyone's moving, moving so quickly. Yeah. But covering on the oh yeah. Covering out the time for reflection is key. Scott, what advice would you offer someone listening? And there are many people listening who are grappling with this now, thinking about should I stay or should I go? Should I retire? Should I semi-retire? Uh, should I just keep keep working as long as I can? What advice do you offer someone who's, who's grappling with that decision now? Yeah. Well, there, again, there, there are the, the two parts of it. There's the financial part. There's a, a reason why some people work longer that's just driven by the finances of it. And that's just a practical reality. But if you're in a position where you could retire or keep working either way, then I, I think it's, it's this process of really self-reflection, self-reflection and trying to figure out because time is short, you don't want to squander it. You don't want to work at a job that you hate when there are other things in the world that you might be doing. You also don't, you don't want to quit in a situation where you're driving a lot of your identity and your sense of self-worth and, and have a lot of your relationships built around your work environment. So I think you really have to look at yourself and say, who am I and where am I getting my sense of joy and self-worth and, and fun? You know, <laughs> you know, what's fun for me? I mean, I, I literally have fun at work. Not every single moment and not every single day, but but I do have a lot of fun and a lot of my friends are uh, the people that I work with. And so I think my I work with my son. My One of my sons is in the company as well. And now with this acquisition, we've got a whole new set of people 
that I work with that I really like too, and I'm enjoying getting to know them. And it's a, a you know totally separate and apart from the the work that we're doing. These are just great people, and I'm really enjoying the relationships that we're building there. So so for me, it was really clear and obvious. But I think again, it's n- not doing what people expect you to do necessarily, or or what oh, I'm 65, I must retire. No, you don't have to retire. You can do what you want. It's your life. And you need to think a lot about what it is that makes you happy. But I think you need to really try to tailor your your plan to to what's in, in your heart and what's driving you forward in life. So so when's your next climb? Ah, I have a trip to... Well, actually, there's one this Friday. There's, a, there's this monstrous stairway called the Manitou Incline, which is down in Manitou, Colorado. I'm going with some, a couple of friends on Friday morning early. It's about 2,000 feet elevation, I think, in about a mile of distance. So it's a very, very steep staircase, <laughs> basically, it's, that's carved into the side of this mountain. And it goes, goes up. I've, I've done it before a couple of times. I'm going back to do it again because it's part of my training for another hike that I'm doing in August with a big group of people that, that we gets together every year we're going to go climb up in the Grand Teton. So just trying to try to stay in shape and hold the machinery together for as long as I can. Well, best wishes on the two climbs. And I will always think of your guitar lessons when I hear the Grateful Dead come up on the playlist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I always think about them too, so. Well, Scott, thanks for taking the time to share your thoughts with us. I think very, very helpful in thinking about other alternatives that people have in front of them as they make these big decisions. Thank you, Joy. I hope some of what I said resonated with your audience and will be helpful to them. Great. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Time for a few takeaways, questions to ponder following this conversation today with Scott McKillop. Number one, what will you do if you get the gift of extra years? That's such a great question that Scott posed and one to consider. Some might be thinking, well, I don't think I'd work, but others might be thinking, I love what I do. I have a sense of mission as Scott does. I think work needs to be in my future, or at least part of it. So what will you do if you have extra years? Number two, where are you getting your sense of joy, self-worth, and fun? In Scott's case, he mentioned he's getting all three of those from work, so it makes it easy to decide to keep going. But how about you? Where are you getting those things? What are the things that really bring you joy in life? And how will you replace some of those things you do get from work if you decide not to work longer and to retire? And number three, can I work longer, but in a different way? There are a lot of new options now. Is semi-retirement, phase retirement, consulting, all these different options that will give you flexibility, but keep your hand in the game. Are they something that will be right for you? Thanks for listening to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. Our mission is to help you retire smarter. You can see all of our episodes at a glance at our website, retirementwisdom.com. Thanks for listening.